This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined by my usual partner, David Hughes. How are you doing, mate? I'm fine, mate. You know what? We never do. Ask how you are. How are you? I'm good. I'm always good. That's why you never ask me. <laughs> Low maintenance, mate. <laughs> Low maintenance. Yeah. Uh, we've, got a po- we've got a podcast to press on with anyway. Yeah, um, sorry, mate. Liverpool managed another win. Yes, another win. 20, 21 wins, is it? Out of 22. It's a lot. I think so. Yeah. And obviously upcoming, we have Man United to do you know, we'll no doubt want to stop that. We're the only team to stop it so far, I suppose, aren't they? The winner. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Very nearly put an end to it, actually, with yeah, the it um, is, yeah. last uh, 85th minute equaliser, I think it was, on the line. Uh, so we'll talk about the Spurs game, look ahead to United. And because the fixtures are now going a little bit back to normal in terms of one a week, we maybe have a little bit of time to possibly answer questions and we're maybe going to have a little look at what we get told to look at all the time, transfers, so something a little bit different there but the Spurs game anyway I thought it was a bit of a weird game I thought it was as I said it's just a strange a strange watch for me mm. don't know about yourself yeah yeah I, I can I can see where you're coming from on that um, it felt like a friendly yeah for large periods yeah well it comes to what we'll probably talk about shortly that um, obviously one team went out to try and win the game and one wasn't really, which is what we expected anyway, and I think it made for a, a strange encounter. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there was different ways Mourinho could have approached it, but I wasn't that surprised considering his injuries and Liverpool's strength. Mm. I wasn't really surprised that he seems to come into the game with maybe a bit of fear, mm. and I think his primary tactic was, well, as it usually is in, in many big games, Stop this team. Yeah. Stop Liverpool Avoid from defeat. Yeah, basically. Um, I think he's, he set out mainly to stop... We, we've talked plenty of times about the whole double jeopardy thing with Liverpool. If mm. you stop one area, another area will thrive and that mm. sort of thing. But I think he seemed to pick Liverpool to tackers. He seemed to stop Liverpool to tackers. Mm. You leave Trent free, you leave Robertson free, which isn't great. But you at least stop Salah and Mane and Firmino to an extent at least. Mm. So he played like a... I thought it was a back five at times. Well, um, I, I, he played five defenders. Yeah, I've had a look and, it, it, you know, I'm sure there's about four formations he, he has throughout the game. It's like, a, a, I mean, all the very defensive. Um, got a 4-4-1-1, a 5-4-1, a 5-3-2 and a 4-5-1. It was... <laughs> you know, it was just variations of very, very much the uh, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, White why, why Scouts have got it down as a 4-4-1-1. Mm. Um, and that's with Sergio Rier as a right-sided midfielder mm. but you know it, it seems to form back fives it seems to form back sixes at times no Mourinho being like that you know what though do you not find the formations are so fluid anyway that's really hard to just I mean on, on, on normally you'll find no matter how they line up it'll be it'll be 2-1 it'll be at very least one without the ball and one with the ball so yeah. it is hard I suppose to pinpoint one formation and Specifically with Spurs on um, on Saturday, it did seem to be chopping and changing, but always very uh, very defensive orientated. Yeah, it seems to be a a back four mainly that was quite deep. Well, more than quite deep, very narrow, 
So it just cuts off the spaces, the channels that Salah, Salah and Mane tend to dart into. Mm. Uh, we predicted that they were going to be tight and aggressive to the feet of of those two players that I've just mentioned, and they certainly were. I think the first, the one surprise I'd say was the inclusion of Tanganga. Is it? Mm, yeah. Played fairly well, though, I thought. Yeah, yeah, everyone's been talking about him. Have you seen him before, him? have you? No, no, he wasn't, he wasn't on my radar at all. Maybe he should have been, um, but yeah, there's been a lot of fallouts about him yeah. since the game, obviously because he put in a good performance. Yeah, but his, his first um, his first action in the game was just uh, to be basically given a piggyback by Sadio Mane because <laughs> he just, you know, straight up his backside. Yeah. Um, with eagerness, maybe. <laughs> no, I think it will be. It will have certainly been a direct instruction. Knowing what Mourinho was like, and knowing what Ashley Young was like last season yeah. with, with Salah in particular, it'll have been you know get really, 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 really tight to him, aggressive, force him backwards, make him feel a bit uncomfortable, mm. and all that. And he did exactly that in the first moment. Um, the Thomas Callas role. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he picked Thomas Callis in the one-off match with us a couple of years ago, didn't he, when Gerard slipped? Yeah, yeah. And it seemed to be a, along those lines. I think it, yeah. the pair... Did he ever play after that game? I don't even. I don't think so. Yeah. I think the, the pair of including a kid like that is, if you want him to play as though he's a robot, mm. he will literally play with yeah. the, with your instructions and and that's it. Mm. Basically, do, do a job for you. Um, but by the end of the game, I mean, I've, I've wrote down there that it was a... A game of two halves to yeah. an extent. You you disagree a bit? Yeah, it, yeah. And I, I think I just more want a clarity on what you said. Um, certainly in terms of like the extra town chart. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it 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 the, the the game did seem to feel like it followed a familiar path throughout of what we've just talked about then. Um, but maybe it's probably better you elaborating on what you mean in terms of the two games. Obviously, uh, I assume you, you are talking about the actually time and chart yeah I mean it should probably provide a bit of context to be honest on the whole weird match thing I thought it was a weird match because Spurs despite the fact that the Spurs and the fa- despite the fact that they were at home seemed to offer virtually no threat for the first half at least mm. they were completely allowed Liverpool's deeper players to have the ball no pressure on them at all no pressing and I think it got to a point where Liverpool players almost got bored Genuinely, I genuinely do, and it just the lack of competition. I think if if something's so easy, and there's such a lack of competition, it can result in you almost, you almost stop playing. You drop down gears, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We play. F- Go on. I was going to say it's 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 kind of that age old term stuff that we try to avoid saying on here, but it's true about not playing at their level. Um, yeah, and maybe that kind of happened a part in the game. Yeah, I was just going to use an example. Then no, we. Go on. we um, <laughs> We played footy in the Echo last week, um, and we picked teams every week. And if if I'm on a stronger team, and I know the team is blatantly stronger, yeah. I will just naturally just take it easy, almost, just because it it just becomes that it gets like that, doesn't it? Psychological aspect, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's I huge. But I think it it obviously played into the hands of Spurs, and the match ended despite Liverpool dominating large periods and dominating the ball and things like that. The match ended 1.9 expected goals to Liverpool, 1.7 expected goals to Spurs. Mm. So obviously Liverpool won very slightly, but those numbers are close enough for that to be basically a flip of a coin. Yeah, and I think they stem from obviously Loscello's big chance, Son's big chance. Both of them didn't even hit the target somehow. 
But, mm. you know, 13 shots for Liverpool, 14 for Spurs. Yeah. Even though Liverpool dominated large periods, you'd say. You know, they seem to take the foot off the gas to the extent that after 90 minutes, it it could have easily went either way. Yeah. If Spurs had been really clinical. I but agree, they, But yeah. they just, they weren't. I'm having a look at the, um, the pressing intensity now. And yeah, you know, I'd say right through the first half, it's hovering between, you know, five and six. And then by the end, you know, you're going into the 20s, into the 40s. Spurs are obviously getting the tail up there, going from like, at one point it, w- it went as high as like 85 and then it's going to nine near the end. So it, it, that's just kind of a, a highlighting just how the game changed in the final, say, 15 minutes. Where it, Do you think it goes back to what we talked about before? Maybe Liverpool starting to reserve energy and shut up shop because they know, they know they're so capable of, of doing it. Possibly. I mean, I had, I had the theory on that earlier in the season, didn't I? Yeah. Liverpool conceding late goals and things like that. And we seem to have stopped doing that. This, it didn't feel... It didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like we started to then reserve energy. It just seemed that we just... When the game just starts to drift, mm, the game game scenarios can change, can't they? Really quickly, you know. Spurs yeah. can get the tail. I think up. The, the the purpose of the whole conserving energy thing, if you're going to do that, the idea is you still have control mm. over proceedings. Or when the the, the results are theoretically done. Yeah, you got two 0 lead or whatever. yeah. But I think this one, it was more a case of the game just started to drift because both team, well, mainly Liverpool, obviously just started to almost lose interest a little bit. It was weird. Around the hour mark, Liverpool's possession reached a point where it was about 76% mm. for the match. That was around the hour mark. Um, and that's away to last season's Champions League finalists. I know. Well, it, it, it does kind of go back to the point that we touched earlier, or at the, at the top there. You know, I had a quick look at Spurs' uh, average, average positional locations, and the defence is basically located maybe a couple of yards ahead of the penalty area, which is really deep, as you know, because, for example, Liverpool, their two centre-backs tend to be close to the halfway line, don't they, in most games? So maybe it just goes back to that point of there was a lack of want or willingness from Spurs to win the game, and it did hamper Liverpool a little bit. And let's be honest, it's a tactic that could have worked, you know, but yeah. for a moment of brilliance from, well, just a really good finish, I would say maybe not brilliance, but really good finish from Firmino. Um, in yesteryear, that might have ended ended up being a draw. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just looking back at last season because what I've just said there about the game starting to drift and it getting a little bit dangerous. Last season, there was a period when Man City, I think they dropped they dropped points in something like two games in a row. Certainly, one was away to Newcastle. Yeah, I remember that way. It was a penalty and then something else. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it was. Fernandinho brought someone down in the box. Yeah, but I, I watched the, the game yeah. live with no hope at that at the time. Mm. And, I, and I had the game on my, iPad, on my iPad while I was just sat there. Yeah. And gradually, as the game progressed and progressed and progressed, I find myself moving closer towards yeah, the iPad. Yeah, y- you can feel it. You can and feel it coming. It yeah. was just, it, it got to a point where... Newcastle weren't offering a threat. It was just City was so bored. Mm. You could just tell us there was such a lack of competition. Yeah, and it was only one nil though. I think at the time. 
I'm gonna find. And it just it just know. resulted in Newcastle scoring a penalty, I think, as you say, and but that's and, and the, the results eventually slipped away from them. But despite City dominating large periods and the Liverpool game against Spurs recently was was felt felt a bit similar. But that's those uh, tangibles that we say you can't control. You know, you can dominate a game so much, can't you? And then. Uh, a lapse in concentration from it was I'm sure it was Fernandinho and he um, brings him down I think Rondon scores the penalty and suddenly there's a game on they've got their tails up I'm just trying to find that game if I can yeah I've got it here I think it's so it was in January yes that looks about right it was in January Salomon Rondon got the first first Newcastle goal that is yeah uh, around the hour mark, just after the hour mark. Oh yeah, that was what Sergio Aguero scored in the first minute. Yeah, that was what it was. He scored in, after about forty seconds, and then the game just gradually began to basically drift after around an hour. City. Well, um, I'm having a look now. Just in the first half, sorry, just on that point, um, City just short a seventy cent ball possession, six shots on target. Uh, sorry, three on target. Newcastle non. City's xg one point one. Newcastle's just over uh, 0.1 so it was just a bit of a nothing game for them so it, it, this would back up your your theory that maybe something Liverpool kind of face something similar yeah but that's what I mean if 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 you've only got a one goal lead and you get to a point of boredom where there's such a lack of competition it can be dangerous hmm. obviously it resulted in Newcastle ending up beating City 2-1 Liverpool the difference being Liverpool managed to to leave um, the new Spurs Stadium with with a one with a one nil result, but doesn't flow that name, does it? The new Spurs Stadium. No, what even is it called? I the think it is. That, yeah, Stadium. Yeah. New but, White Hart Lane. You should have called it or something like yeah. that. Uh, but one, one thing I was impressed with during the game was was the defensive work of Liverpool's front three. Mm-hmm. The the track and back of, of Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino in particular in certain moments was it it it's mad. It really is, yeah. Matt. I flagged those two same players as well. Salah was there to a lesser extent, but I noticed for me, you know, um, seven recoveries he made, six in the opposition half, and his average is normally around 2.9. Um, some similar story for Mane. Um, they just work so hard off the ball, don't they? Yeah, it is firmly a case of like you're up against 11 men, aren't you? Yeah. It's, it's not like there's no passengers there, nothing like that. No, that's it. Uh, that's why I always think it was the, the Coutinho transfer that kind of opened the door for this elite Liverpool side because there was no longer a luxury player who was kind of given a free role. Everybody works so hard yeah, yeah. with and without the ball. That's just why Liverpool, at the moment, an unstoppable force. Yeah, there was a few moments where Spurs like, won the ball or whatever, regained the ball. And say, for example, Deli Elliott have the ball near the halfway line. And... He'd expect to have time on the ball, and then the crowd would scream because Mane would be behind mm. him, about to regain the ball, and he'd, he'd regain it, and the crowd would be a bit frustrated by it. Um, <laughs> boxing the uh, <laughs> boxing the mic here, go on, carry on, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, I just think it's a it's a different proposition to what teams mm. usually face to face a front three that's that good, but also that hard working. Yeah, unique. I don't think there's a front three anywhere like it. No, no, there's good attacking. From threes across Europe and I'm sure they're the world sides, but in terms of the defensive work as well, they're, they're completely and utterly unique. Yeah. So just a word before we move on to United mm. on Alisson. Mm. Obviously another player who ridiculous player. 
Um, got a little stat on him here. He's conceded one goal of the last 30 shots that he's faced. And I mean faced as in shots on target, mm. not not shots that have missed. So he's he's saved 29 of the last 30 that he's faced. Um, you know, absolute safe hands. Yeah. You know, yeah. just there was a moment late in the match, Spurs had a shot from outside the box, I think it was. And it was one of them that, because of the pressure environments, you can easily just drop it or, you know what I mean, that yeah. sort of thing, or slip or anything like that. But you just never see him do it. No, no, he's uh, he's he's by far now the, the league's best keeper. I don't think it can be doubted anymore. You know, people talked about Edison being up there. Um, I think Alisson's proven now over a, a longer period since he's been in the Premier League that he is the better keeper. Um, he's more of a difference maker for me. Yeah, Alisson, he is. Yeah. In terms of saving shots, which like, is basically what a keeper's number one priority is. He's got the best save percentage in the Premier League. Yeah, by a distance as well, I yeah. think it is. Um, he's constantly outperforming his XG. But, you know, another thing to his game, he's just a fantastic sweeper as well, isn't he? He's so integral to how the defensive side of Liverpool play, you know, when they're kind of forcing these long balls, um, which comes from the from the pressing of the players we've just been talking about, long balls over the top, fast defenders, when they're not there, he's always on hand. And I've, I've seen him make one mistake and that was against Brighton, but that was so uncharacteristic of him. One sweeper mistake? Well, he comes out, doesn't he? I thought you were going to say Leicester when he tried to be... No, Clifton. No, in yeah. his first few he's, days. No, that was uh, it. Starts last season, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, uh, he hasn't done one of them since. No, then. he's learned his lesson there. But no, I'm talking about he, he made the mistake at Brighton. Oh, but, I know. Yeah, yeah. Either side of that, he's just been faultless. I think. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, he has. He's huge for Liverpool. Yeah, huge. it's interesting what you just said there about the the sweeping thing. That's just that's just planted to see them yet. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a piece this week. Uh, it seems to have went down really well on p- the concept of pitch control and Liverpool, and how the whole data concept works behind it, but go and read that on my Twitter if, if, you, if you want to know a bit more about it, but it's just about, like, you know, the spatial control that you have of the pitch, and I think if you have a if you have a keeper who's a, a sweeping type, and he's quick off his line, and he's aggressive, that allows your whole team to move up maybe an extra five yards, mm. You've got that control of the pitch in the deeper areas because of his tendency to dart off the line. So oh, it oh. just it just presents an entirely new um, option for the team, basically, basically on the pitch when you've got a keeper that's not just dominant in his own box, but to an extent dominant in his own third. Well, I was just about to say, he governs Liverpool's defensive third. That's what he does. He governs yeah, it. Yeah. So Liverpool don't have to worry about that area because they know Alisson will collect balls in there, even if it involves them coming out the penalty area. That's why he's so good, and that's why you can see Liverpool's defence push so high, because it's always protected. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And then that obviously has implications on the rest of the pitch in terms of being able to press so aggressively, make the make the pitch small for the opposition trying to play out. It's it's all a well-oiled machine, and he's a big, big part of it. Yeah, definitely. So we will move on to the team now. Maybe used to have the best keeper in the league. <laughs> yeah, used to have everything the best. But yeah, they did, it, yeah. I think it's uh, fair to say not no more. 
Yeah, bit of a downfall. Last time we spoke about Man United, we spent the whole episode <laughs> on it. Not sure exactly how it went down. We just thought we'd do something different. Yeah, we we avoided looking at the reviews that said that one, didn't we? Well, yeah. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. Because it, it was insightful, though. Without, well, it was all negative. It was yeah. all negative on United. So, so if you're a Liverpool fan, you probably enjoyed it. Exactly, yeah. That's it. Um, but I think the first point I want to make on United, the, the team since the last episode we had on them, they can still... By numbers, at least, they can still definitely defend. Yeah, that was something we flagged that they were they had the better defence, didn't we? Then what the what the defensive record was showing on the surface. Yeah, yeah when we last faced them, we we spoke about you know their expected goals against and how it's amongst the best in the league. And after twenty two matches, I think it is now it's still right up there. Um, expected goals against United is currently the best in the league. Very, 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 very slightly ahead of Liverpool. Um, it's basically identical. I think United have been expected to concede 20.7 goals and Liverpool have been expected to concede 20.8. Um, but United are fifth for that actual goals conceded, which is um, maybe a little bit of a concern and it's the type of thing that usually, if you're analysing this sort of thing, you'd look at the keeper then, wouldn't you? Mm. Because mm. he's not... He's not conceding. He, he is conceding more than he should. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's living on reputation a little bit at the moment. I think. Yeah. Um, he's. I'm just having a quick look now. He's slightly underperforming. Um, his xG against is 23.75, and he's conceded 25. This is according to White's Coast. That's a different provider. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's a different provider, but it's it's probably going to be a similar narrative, isn't it? Where you're looking at it, um, and yeah, there's yeah, question marks. He hasn't been, he hasn't been a top goalkeeper for a good eighteen months now. I'd say, if I'm being brutally honest. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, he still pulls off the odd, the odd top save. I think he's he's still probably one of the best at using his feet mm. in terms of making saves, not yeah. not distribution, but making saves with his feet. He mm. he does that more than any keeper I've ever seen. I think. Mm. Yeah, no fair. I Which I can't get my head around. I don't know why more more keepers don't do it. Yeah, I think there's a. Well, I mean, I'm not a goalkeeping expert. I don't know how the coaching goes with it, but I think there is always an expectancy to get down and save with your hands. So potentially you can grab hold of the ball, or it's easier to parry the ball out of danger, I guess, than with your feet. But um, the guy does it really impressively, and it's, it, he always seems to clear it away from danger. He is, as you said, he's one of the best at it. Yeah, I mean, just to capture the weird, the weird difference between Liverpool and United at the minute. Both teams, as I said, have been expected to concede about 21 goals. But Liverpool have actually conceded 14. And United have actually conceded 25. Um, now, that's either a case of serious bad luck. Mm. It's a case of you know a clear difference between both goalkeepers. Or, you know, what, what would you put that down to? Because it's, it's considering... The actual performance beneath the surface in terms of the shots that you're facing is relatively the same. There's some um, some differentiation there. Yeah, I I just wonder if it's a, if it's a mixture of all them. It's it's really difficult to put your finger on it, and maybe it's it's highlighting a potential flaw in the in the XG system. I don't know. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is bizarre. But I think there's things that you can that cannot measure just yet in data. Um, you know, maybe just about not like I would. I always think that Liverpool put really good 
pressure on the on attackers, even if they don't get challenges in, or they still get the shots off. And maybe United aren't doing that. It's, yeah, yeah. That's you know, it's 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 difficult really without maybe watching the footage. Um, I don't know. I suppose it may maybe both ends would eventually level out a little bit more to the underlying numbers. You would expect that, but then when you look at the defensive figures Liverpool have, mm. Allison. Van Dijk XG is obviously based on the average player yeah. they're not average players they're better yeah. than average players so they're obviously always going to overperform and they maybe. should overperform yeah, yeah. but in, in essence so should United really Maguire you'd say I mean a £70 million player is supposed to be above average yeah but De Gea is supposed to be mm, above average but I suppose it, but then we're basing them aren't we on transfer values maybe instead yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of actual but quality I suppose, I suppose that captures how not to spend your money then? Yeah, you should, on, if yeah. you're going to spend that amount, it should be on difference makers, and like these players day. don't seem to be making that much of a difference. Yeah. Um, on the attacking side, they seem to again be virtually the same as when we last spoke. They still can't seem to break down a defence, and they seem to thrive when they're allowed to play on the counter attack, mm. uh, which they may be able to do against Liverpool. Yeah when he scored at Old Trafford against Liverpool early in the season there was a debate wasn't he about the foul at the time yeah. someone got fouled I think yeah. it was Rigi um, on, on the halfway line wasn't it on there or thereabouts yeah it wasn't given and United scored through getting up the field very quickly Daniel James Marcus Rashford goal hmm. um, they, well, they obliterated City in that first half hour didn't they at the Etihad yeah. uh, last month yeah they did but what I will say I think Liverpool are much more compact than City were that day City were a mess yeah. for that first half yeah did, I mean it's chalk and cheese at the moment isn't it really with the, with Liverpool's defence compared to City's um, yeah I, I mean I could never imagine um, United being able to but what was it five shots on target after half an hour yeah something <laughs> like that yeah. Yeah, Liverpool don't no tend to concede five no. in, a first, in, a, in a match in yeah. a line of first half an hour um, but United the seventh overall in the table for open play expected goals, so that obviously removes penalties, which they've benefited from a lot. Um, and I think it's interesting when you look at the actual attacks beneath the surface because it's not that different, but it is, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. So listen to what, listen to these numbers now. Liverpool have took three hundred and twenty-five shots. Mm. United have took three hundred and sixteen. So there's nine in there. Mm. Liverpool have found the target 123 times. United 117 times. So there's six in there. Mm. But the expected goals per shot, Liverpool's is better. I mean, I'm not going to go into the specifics of the numbers because they start getting complicated. But Liverpool's XG per shot is better, which suggests that Liverpool are taking more shots in general, but not much. Mm. But when the shots come, they're much more clear cut. And then when those shots are taken, they're taken by the likes of Mane, Salah, Firmino, compared to Rashford's quality, but, I don't know, Daniel James taking yeah, shots, Pereira taking shots, yeah. Fred taking shots. Yeah, I think it's the difference between having a slightly better attack, much better attackers and stuff like that, and it ultimately resulting in a chasm in the actual table. Yeah, well, it's kind of... It's the... It's the same theme of what we've just been talking about with defenders, isn't it? When you've got elite attackers, you know, they tend to convert better chances. Liverpool are creating better chances as well. Or they, sorry, they tend to convert more uh, more chances. And yet, Liverpool are creating better chances for them. 
um, taking better shots, just just everything's that little bit better. But that's because Liverpool have a lease up there where there's you take Marcus Rashford out of the equation. I don't think there's many elite players in United. I think Martial could be on his day, but he's just not consistent enough. I mean, yeah, might as well use that as a segue now to, to talk about Rashford because I think he's a player who... Um, I think he's underrated. Yeah. I, I really do. I think he's a player... I, I know he's inconsistent and he doesn't do it every single week. But not, the club doesn't. No. At the minute, the team don't. The United are a very inconsistent team. And he's he's going to be a, a product of that. But, you know, most of the time, possibly through no fault of his own doing. But I think he's a... I think he's a top player. I think he's got loads of attributes that, if he weren't a United player, Liverpool would be really interested in. Mm. I uh, I was talking about this early in the office before the show, um, and I said, you know, considering he's an English, an England international, he's been on the scene now for a couple of years, United star. You know, he is well talked of. Everybody knows who he is. But I also believe he is really underrated because I rank him as well, in the top ten in in Europe by easily. Easy. Well, you say all that about like people talk about him, everyone knows about him, United's main player and all stuff like that. He's 22. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He's still very, very much a kid. Yeah. And if you look at his qualities and his certain traits, you know, English, homegrown, clearly very, very driven, mm. uh, keeping himself in good physical shape. He's quite tall, mm. very, very fast. He mm. accelerates to his top speed very quickly. Mm. He can um, beat a man, you know. Then. He can beat a man, yeah, yeah. good dribbler. He can strike the ball really cleanly, yeah. takes free kicks. He's got everything. He, he's a really top player, genuinely. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. He's phenomenal. And what I like about him now, right, is already he's becoming like a a Gerard character to United. You know, we're, we're recording on Thursday and yesterday he played Wolves. So I don't know if you caught any of the game. Did you see it? The FA Cup game? Sort of first half, yeah. Yeah, he um, did he score yesterday? No, he come on anyway. Come off injured, didn't he? Yeah, he come. Yeah, he come on, and he gets injured. But he's so important to the side that he, he you know, the, the Solskjaer wants to keep him on the pitch. And obviously, that's made it worse. But he he just seems to like big goals. It's always him, isn't it? He scored that one against Liverpool. Yeah, he scored against Liverpool plenty. It's yeah. Old Trafford. He's just he, he is like a Gerrard character to United now, and uh, and at twenty two, as you said, it's. It's really impressive and a testament to him. He's kind of pulling them through a, a really difficult period, I think. Yeah, he is, yeah. If you were, if you were to surround him with quality... Like I've said a, a couple of times on various different podcasts, if you were to take out Sadio Mane from Liverpool's team mm. and put Marcus Rashford in it, and Marcus Rashford was surrounded by Firmino and Robertson mm. and Van Dijk and you know all those players, I think Rashford would comfortably, every season get at least 20 league goals yeah, and I think he'd be a consistent performer and if he didn't score it wouldn't be a big deal because Salah probably would have whereas at United if he doesn't score they probably don't get a result and he mm. gets the spotlight and, and things like yeah. that but he's just a player that I, I, I rate really highly and I can't really get my head around when people say people, I think people sometimes refer to him as a bit of a Walcott type who's not really I mean vouch that, that isn't the case <laughs> <laughs> But the thing, the thing with Walcott though, he's um, he's been that. What's that word? The the player won't make that step for years and years and years. And Rashford, as I said, Rashford's only twenty two. Mm. 
he's already far and away beyond that. Mm, yeah, he's already broke through the ceiling that Walcott probably never, never did. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. yeah, so he's a, he'll definitely be a threat if he plays. I mean, if he doesn't play, but yeah, that's possible. Yeah, that's that's going to be big trouble for United. That I think that's tails down from the outset. I think he's. I'd go as far as saying he's their only threat, really. Yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying regarding Martial, but I think in an environment like like Anfield, Martial is the type to drift. I, I can't think of Martial, and I do like him. And Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's never done it in United career, because he has. I remember him scoring against Everton in the semi-final FA Cup late on, but Martial, Martial it doesn't seem to be, certainly recently, a game-winner. All right, he scored on his debut, didn't he, against Liverpool? But can you can you really think of like Mo? No, we talking about Rashford. He scored against Chelsea in the cup, um, and that was a penalty. He scored against City. He scored against Liverpool this season. Martial doesn't really seem to produce those moments. And Anfield is the toughest place to play in world football at the moment. Yeah, well, you say that there. Um, one final point that I want to make regarding the game is that we've generally struggled, despite United being quite bad for a number of years now we've generally struggled to get a result over there mm. at Old Trafford and I was listening to um, I think it was Carragher the other day speaking to Neville and he said he said that when Liverpool used to go to used, used to face Ferguson United yeah. you'd kind of look at the team and you'd see that they're just player for player much better mm. and as a result you just know that to get in and we have to be absolutely on it yeah. and I think United have been doing that whenever Liverpool go to Old Trafford regardless of the form that they're in just because of how good Liverpool ha- are and how much the match means they just find a way to be 100% mm. on it get out with a draw maybe or something Yeah, and move on I think at Anfield it's tricky for them to do that I can't see them finding a way to match Liverpool's level at Anfield and coming out with a draw or you know no. well, that sort of thing I think it's a different proposition I agree I, I, funny enough I had a quick look at this and you know as you touched on people always talk about Liverpool's poor record at Old Trafford but United are winless in the last four visits to Anfield and they failed to score in three of the games and I think this side in particular as I said especially with Rashford without not being in the team they don't seem to possess a lot of mental strength to overcome adversity in the game. You know, the the winless in all six league games away from home that they've conceded first, losing five. And obviously they're going to Liverpool, where Liverpool basically always seem to take the lead. I think they've been winning half time in ten of the eleven home league games. Like, if Liverpool take the lead in that game, which they so often do, and often early as well. There's, I just think there's no way back for United. I don't think they've got anything in them to come back. And I can see Liverpool just steamrolling them. Yeah, I mean, we, we might as well use that use that to, to actually get your verdict then. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a bad afternoon for United. Um, and a great one for Liverpool. I'm going to go... I'm, I think it's going to be one for the ages, you know. I think it's going to be a 4-0 yeah. here. Do you? It's yeah. a big shout. Let's mm. uh, put me off that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. Don't get me wrong. If it was tight, I can see that as well. So if that's the angle you're going with, I can I can get on board with it. I know that's more than likely going to be the case. But no, I'm not. I'm not going to go with the tight angle. No. no. Okay. I'm just going to go with maybe the middle of the road angle. I think I'm going to go two nil to Liverpool. Comfortable two uh, nil though. Or? Yeah, I can't see, especially if Rashford doesn't play. I just, mm. I just, 
I can't really see them posing that much of a threat. Mm. Um, and going forward, I just think we'll be too high tempo and too intense for their defence to remain resolute for the full 90 mm. minutes at Anfield as well in that atmosphere. So, yeah, I don't know, 2-0, two, two possibly even 3, I don't know, but... I don't know, it'll be interesting. It'll be mm. interesting to see how they, how they perform because this is obviously Solskjaer's first time to Anfield as United boss. Mm. Um, the last time, obviously, resulted in Mourinho being sacked. I just don't, he doesn't even have the aura, does he? You know, as a manager, no, going that's to that, Anfield. That, do you know what? That's, that's a key thing of, of why he's he's just hard to listen to. He's yeah. the opposite of inspirational. No, yeah. He doesn't say anything. Monotone. You know, and, how many times we talk about terminology, Klopp's shoes, and even like. Pet Linders, you know, it's stuff that he said, stuff that you, it really strikes a chord with you and you're impressed by. Solskjaer doesn't have any of that, does he? he just no, doesn't no. seem well, to. Honestly, right, the amount of things that come into management and things like that, but half the battle is just how you communicate. Mm. Half the battle is your communication. On. If you can get your communication right across to, and your messages across to your players and the media and things like that, <clears throat> that's why I'm so set on, for example, Arteta doing well at Arsenal because it, just listen to the man, listen to how mm. he speaks, how he communicates to people, how clear he is, mm. how, um, you know, the vision he's got clear in, mm. in his own mind and things like that. I think it goes a long way and Solskjaer just doesn't seem to have that for me. No. Uh, but we'll move on to a bit of the show that we've never done before, we're going to trial it. Mm. I did ask initially for some questions a little bit on the Facebook group, but we're recording this too soon after for them for, to, to use them, I think. So we're going to go down the route of transfers. So the first one, who would you bring in this window? So we're going to, for Liverpool, realistically, so we, we're not going to suggest Jaden Sancho. It's not going to happen. No. So yeah. just a realistic transfer, if you had to sign someone this window for Liverpool. Mm. I don't know Dave's answers. He doesn't know more. <laughs> okay. Who are you going with? Um, so I've gone with... Um, I've got a feeling we're gonna go. With the, we've gone with the same position, haven't we? Um, Probably, yeah. Just because Liverpool <laughs> are so good at, across the pitch, it's it's all about maybe just reinforcements now and some cover because they play so many go uh, so many games. <coughs> I've gone with um, Benfica's Alex uh, Grimaldo, um, who's obviously a left back. Shows up really well on the data. Most people listening will probably know who he is. Uh, so. So dropped his name to you before, didn't I? And you said, oh, I wrote about him, not, was it a year or two ago? It was before what, my first ever recruitment piece, I think, yeah. so it was like three years ago or something. Uh, but very briefly, he's uh, he's played nearly 5,000 minutes of competitive action over the past 12 months. Um, he's he's registered 13 assists. Um, no other left-back, 24 or under, can better that. Um, his expected assists, just under 10.5. Um, some of this is padded out by set pieces, but he, there's, there's a lot of open play creativity there. Um, impressively, he wins well over 66% of his defensive duels, which is good numbers. He's okay in the air as well. Um, average, good numbers for the fullback, especially. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, he tends to carry the ball okay. You know, two progressive runs per 90, which isn't bad. You know, it's not it's not Andy Robinson levels, but it's... It's efficient. Mm. Um, you know, you, you probably would be up paying upwards of 30 million, which is a lot okay, but um, Liverpool financially probably the best they've ever been. So um, I suspect they could afford it if, if they wanted to do it. So I've gone down 
the left back views as well. Um, but it's a difficult one because you usually, if you've got an established player, usually you'd sign an understudy who is maybe going to gradually take the reins as the established player starts to regress. But I think Robertson's 23, yeah. so he's not going to regress anytime soon. So you might as well just sign a relatively cheap but capable backup who's going to be able to still execute lots of what Robertson does, but maybe not to the same level. Um, so a player that I think I've mentioned on this podcast before... Robertson's 25. Is he 25? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. The only reason well, I flagged that is just because I thought... My data must have been off if I've got 24 months <laughs> because I know Robertson's I put more assists up than that over the 12 months. But um, yeah. your point's still completely valid. Yeah, well, I mean, 25, you've still, yeah, got, you've a fair, still got a fair amount of time. Six yeah. years, maybe. But yeah, I've gone down the route of a player that I think I've mentioned before, and that is Joe Bryan, uh, Fulham. I've mentioned him, yeah. <laughs> English. Um, homegrown. And the, all, all of those things. Well, the homegrown aspect certainly plays a part in the whole squad building concept. I think he's 26 years old um, and he's, he's just got those offensive traits that Liverpool like in their full-backs. Good cross-egg, delivery of the ball, strikes the ball cleanly. I think he takes a few set-pieces here and there. He's quite quite quick. Um, I need to further emphasise his delivery, actually. His delivery's quality, good left foot on. Um, he's strong, quite short and stocky and he's he's cheap. As well, I, I think he, I saw him linked earlier in the month to Southampton. I think for seven million, and he mm. was signed by Fulham last summer from I think Bristol City or Bristol Rovers City um, for I think about six million. Mm. And I just think he's a he's just one of them who'd be a, a really adequate stopgap sort of player. Mm. I'm trying to think of a player who's who's done that in the in the mould of a Amin Amino. Yeah, I, I was going to say, would you not use Minamino as maybe the example? Yeah, because... Kind of low risk. Yeah, exactly, yeah. low risk, yeah. Because Minamino's, I think he's about... He's not young, he's, he's 24, so so he's not going to gradually replace Firmino in, mm. in, a, in a, you know, traditional scouting sense. So I think, it, I don't know, his signature just seems to make a lot of sense to me, considering on the right side, I think Nico Williams is making a claim to be an adequate backup, but on the left... You've got Larucci there, I suppose, but I don't he, know. He, he looks like he's not quite there. He might develop. Not defensively, yeah. I think he's. A, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But it's strange, him because he's he's really versatile. I've, I've said to you, didn't I, jokingly? I've seen him play like up front and everything. So I don't know if he, if I think he's more attack minded than defence yeah. orientated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't think he'd be ready, but he's just step in for Robertson. Yeah, and. To follow that, we will move on to... So, who... We obviously spend a lot of time um, looking for potential scouting replacements for certain players for various different clubs. And so we we spend a lot of time looking at the numbers and seeing which players are showing up. So, again, I haven't looked at Dave's and he hasn't looked at mine. Just three general players who... Not specifically for the Liverpool position, but players that are generally showing up to you based on this season, you know, in the numbers or whatever it may be, who are just catching your eye, who may be catching the data eye of Liverpool's team behind the scenes. Hmm. Uh, do you want to start? I will, mate, yeah. Go now, uh, I've focused quite quite a lot on younger players. Um, and you know what? I've given myself a tough one to start with here. Um, 
I've gone with a centre back that I've never watched. I've, I've scoused him purely on data. It's a big statement, that. But what I will say is, it's it's one of them where how recruitment works. Obviously, using data is you'll you'll kind of draw up a short list of players showing well, won't you? And yeah, you'll, you'll spot the outliers, won't exactly, you? Exactly, And then yeah. you'll go and watch them or go and see them or whatever. Spot on, yeah. So this is kind of what the process I'm doing here and then maybe they'd be fair to scouting, uh, video scouting of this player. So this player, work with me pronunciation, is uh, Warchick uh, Blazico playing for Jagalonia Bilostok in the Polish Premier League. Right, that's... Hard, mate. It's, that's very, very hipster. Yeah, I practice before I come on. <laughs> but listen, he, oh, I know he's a low quality league, okay. Um, but he's really standing out. How old did you say he was? I'm just coming to that out. He's oh, okay. 20 years of age, so he is quite. He is young. He's played upwards of 1500 minutes of senior action um, over the last. Uh, I think it's over the last 12 months because he's just been working his way through the. Uh, the, through the ranks but he's six foot five inches so he's he's obviously a big unit um he's really strong in the air okay as i said it's low quality uh opposition but he's won just under 68 percent of his um defensive duels uh, no 68 percent of his aerial duels and uh, he's got a defensive duel success rate of nearly 89 percent Okay. Which, you know, for comparison, Joel Massive was the best performing de- uh, defender in this department over the past 12 months in the Premier League, and he was around 76%. So, even with some natural uh, reduction in playing against some tougher opposition, there's still potential that he could be a good player that hasn't yet been unearthed. And also, I just want to get add that he's, um, he averages around 26, 27 passes per, per 90 his past success rate is 86%, which is fairly impressive as well. So there's a good chance he could be not only a good defender, but well-suited to a possession-based side. Yeah. Um, as I said, you wouldn't just go in and buy this player, but that if I saw them, I'd think, you know what, I'm going to have a... Maybe he's worth the scout. Yeah, I suppose that's an example, isn't it, of, of how you'd spot these these exactly yeah. players that you wouldn't be able to spot without data, I suppose. Yeah. Um. My first one is completely opposite end. Okay, go on. <laughs> My, I'm, I'm a different stratosphere here with this one. I mean, I, I, I thought the first one would just, for me, would just be an, an obvious one I can't really avoid. So, and it's Liverpool related. So I had to go with Timo Werner for the first one. Yeah, okay. Uh, bit of an <laughs> Literally obvious, at the other side. Bit, bit of an obvious choice, but, no, but I, I, I have to explain his numbers because what yeah. he's doing this season. He's worthy of a mention, even if he, he is will, a bracket um, obvious choice. He will undoubtedly be on Liverpool's shortlist right at the top, surely, because uh, he's 23 years old, German, so same native as Klopp. Um, plays across the front three positions. Supposedly he's learned uh, aspects of the false nine role this season as well, according to his, his new boss, Julian Nagelsmann. Um, he's also very fast, very strong, short. He's a, In fact, in that mould, he's very much like a right-footed Salah. So everything you know about Mohamed Saleh, picture him being right-footed and you've pretty much got Timo Werner. Um, he's made 25 appearances this season and he's scored 23. 10 assists as well. Um, and he just he, he just comes across as the type of player that this season certainly, I mean, we've, we've heard of Liverpool's interest in the past, but this season, he, he under the new leadership, you know, Julian Nagelman, I've just mentioned, he seems to have progressed onto a bit of a different level. 
Um, with those goals and assists, that means he's he's averaging a scoring contribution roughly every 60 minutes. Um, as I said, having made 25 appearances, so that's a solid... That he, becoming a bit of an out, output merchant there, which is a term that I use quite frequently on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a player, he's playing for a club that we have tend to have a good relationship with, you know, the Red Bull clubs. Uh, they are the type of club that tend to provide a stepping stone, so we'll probably sell. And his deal was due to be running out, I think, this season maybe. Mm. But he signed a new deal at the end of last year. But I think he signed that new deal with either the understanding or with a release clause that, you know, Red Bull will let him go. But I think he signed a deal as if to say, like, okay, I'll let you get a fee for my services because mm-hmm. Red Bull aren't the type of club to let you leave no. for free. No, because that's what their business model is, on making profit, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these players. So he's, he's just a type of player that you just... He's just the ultimate Liverpool fit at the minute. The the ultimate Liverpool player. The only issue with it, the only potential problem is, from his perspective, where does he play? Mm. He must look at the front three and think, I'm not going to get the minutes. So, you know, remains to be seen whether Liverpool will eventually move for that lad, but he's clearly some player. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think I just want to echo that, by the way. I think he's a Liverpool Yeah, so. I, I just couldn't avoid that one, even though it was a blatantly obvious yeah. choice. Um this is less of an unknown quantity, thankfully. Uh, Daniel Almel um, Carvajal, you know Almo. Almo you Daniel Almo. Yeah, 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 yeah. You will know. I was gonna, I was gonna pick him. Oh, was you? Yeah. yeah. Good player. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, uh, midfielder, pretty versatile. Is near across the midfield. Um, yeah. Over the past twelve months, he scored sixteen goals, created another seven for teammates. He does take set pieces, but just. One of those assists came from set piece, so he is quite creative from open play. He's only 21, um, a product of Barcelona's youth academy. Um, but he moved to Zagreb in Croatia, uh, which is a bit, seemed a bit of a strange move about four or five years ago now. Apparently, that deal was. Do you remember Halilovic? Uh, was a- it Alan Halilovic? Was this part Croatian of Croatian kid? Was an, an exchange or something? Yeah, wasn't it? he went to Barca oh, yeah. from Zagreb, and okay. Zagreb took. Danny Elmo the other way. Oh, okay. He's been there since, apparently. But he's, I mean, he's done really well over there. He's he's been like, he's been voted the the player of the years, I think the last two years, but he's got a skill set that could actually really assist assist Liverpool. He's a, he's a really high but accurate dribbler. He averages around 8.3 per 90 with a success rate of over 52%. Um, No, he's he's got really good vision. Uh, He's a good passer of the ball, but I was having a look and, his passing stats are just over eighty percent success rate, but his uh, his pass length average is seventeen point seven meters. Y scouts recorded on, but in basic terms, what it illustrates is that he's he's not kind of a five yard specialist. He tends to play more, you know, line breaking balls through defenses. Yeah. Um. So you've got a player who can pass through a. Um, pass through the lines but also carry the balls through the lines which is important for Liverpool and he's then got that goal and goal creation uh, threat so still just 21 I don't think he'd break the bank either uh, he's, he actually played in the Champions League this year so he's, he's getting he some, scored as well against City yeah it was yeah it was so you know he's I think he's got a massive move coming up over the next maybe season season and a half and yeah, I think I'd Liverpool be a perfect place for him yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Good shout. Um, 
I want to go a little bit more left field now. Yeah, but there we go. No, 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 no. no. Not, not. Give me the Polish first division. <laughs> no, not left field to that extent. Nowhere near. Um, this is a player that Liverpool fans will be familiar with. Yeah. Everyone will be familiar with him. But he doesn't get talked about enough for me. Uh, Martin Odegaard. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, 21 years old. Mm. He's still only 21 years old. I need to re- emphasise that. Um, Boyard Liverpool fan. Um, and he's currently on loan, still contacted with Real Madrid, but he's currently on loan at Real Sociedad. Mm. I think he's playing with Xabi Alonso, who's currently there coaching. Um, it's not a bad mentor, is it? No, exactly, yeah. He's predominantly a number 10, but quite versatile across the front line. Left-footed. Um, his end product, in terms of goals and assists, isn't fully there just yet. Four goals and five assists in 17 appearances. Mm. Not bad. Mm. But you know you're not you're not breaking rules there, anything like that. Um, but despite that, he's he's definitely a creative player, and he shows up in various metrics as quite quite creative, quite inventive. Um, I looked at Europe's top five leagues players to have played over one thousand five hundred minutes, and only four find the penalty box more with passes than Odegaard, and those four are Kostic. Navas, Kevin De Bruyne, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, so obviously he's he's helping his team progress the ball quite quite often there. And only five players from Europe's top five leagues average more through passes per ninety. Mm. Um, he tends to see a lot of the ball as well. He, make, he makes around fifty passes per match, I think, which is quite a lot for a lad who's playing high up the field. Mm. Uh, but he's just a player that you know since Real Madrid signed him down, he seems to have drifted under the radar, but. I think it's important to say that he's still firmly a ridiculous talent. Uh, yeah. He's just maybe at the wrong club. Yeah, he got the, um, he's kind of a victim of the hype train, wasn't he, where he got, everyone was saying, this wonder kid's going to come in and do it straight away. He didn't, so everyone wrote him off, but yeah, as you've said continue. a million times, he's 21. No, he's, yeah. still, he's still developing. Um, but yeah, I think he's, it, just dead quick, even if it's not Liverpool, would you agree that his future's probably away from Real Madrid? Yeah, I'd like to think so as well. I think he he's good enough to to, to get a move now for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure where is highly suited to him, but probably a team that's going to see most of the ball. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he ends where he ends up. Mm. I'm uh, I'm finishing on forward. Go on, Jonathan Davis, 19 year okay. old, um, Ghent, uh, Belgium first division, obviously. He's a Canadian player, so if, I assume we're going to have one or two Canadian Liverpool fans listening who probably know who he is because he has a, he has played for the national side, so he's not, as I said, I'm veering away from the unknown quantities a little bit now. Um, he scored 28 goals over the previous 12 months, which is just one less than the sensation Haaland. Um Although it's important to note, he's he's played about 4,900 minutes, whereas Haaland played 1,800. Um, so he's maybe not as clinical, but there's evidence to suggest that the different players, um, you know, Haaland tends to tend to have more touches in the box than David did, and it uh, takes to have more shots than David did as well. Um, where David tends to have more passes per 90 and he's, he's also assisted 13 goals in that time as well. So if you think about it, 13 assists and 28 goals in 12 months, just 19 is is pretty impressive. And okay, it's in Belgium, but if you think that he's come from 
Canada into Europe, a new continent. He's adjusted really quick at 18. What's to say that he couldn't go to the Premier League and yeah, adjust yeah. in the same manner? So I think he's another that keep an eye on. He could go on to be a good player and um, get a big move. And I think he's more of a Liverpool player because he contributes more in in the build-up than, say, someone like who were used in the example Harland would. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, as I said, Jonathan David wants to watch. Yeah, I'm just going to wear a stage my football index now. <laughs> 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 no, uh, final one um, from yourself, and then we'll round off. Uh, so I've gone with Milot Rashica. Oof. Uh, you aware of more? No, 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 no. 23 years old, uh, Bundesliga. So he's contracted to Werder Bremen, who are currently 17th in the league. So obviously not a very good side at mm. all. But he's played 15 times this season, 15 appearances, and he scored seven goals, three assists. Um, again, another player that can play across the front line, mainly on the left, though. Mainly as like a, a Sadio Mane type on the left. Um, he's Kosovan. Two years left on his current deal, um, and he shoots a lot as well. Shoots about 3.3 times per 90 based on this season. They're not always from great areas, but. I had a little look in the Bundesliga and he's shooting the most per 90 based on players that don't play for Bayern Munich and players that aren't Timo Werner. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the best of the rest of yeah. like He's clearly a, a, a talent. He showed up to me a, a few times. I got asked to write a piece earlier in the year. Can't remember who it was for. Might have been for attackers for Spurs or something like mm. that. But he's a player that showed up to me and you know, he's another one in the in the short, stocky mould, aggressive, quite quick, and you know he's, he's clearly a, a attacking type. And considering this team are looking to go down at the minute, mm. he's just the type that I would expect certainly him to get picked off a bad team, basically. Mm. Mm. Uh, but yeah, one to keep an eye on. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we'll round up there anyway. So we'll be back probably next Tuesday. I think it's looking like. Because we've got Wolves on the Thursday, weirdly. Mm. Um, so we'll pre- we'll preview that one round off. Uh, we'll we'll look back at United. Hopefully, we get a win. But thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.